What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pixel Splitters. Uh, this is a conversation podcast where me and my good man Josh here. Um, crap, I stole your introduction. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we talk about things in film, TV, video tech, sometimes regular tech, and pretty much anything else that comes across our paths. Yeah. Uh, as always, well, I guess I already said this. I'm your host, Willis, also with my my good man, Josh. Yeah, there it is. all right. Nailed it. Killing it. <laughs> Already off to a good start here. Um, so we've got a, a few things to talk about today, which, of course, I don't have in front of me. Hang on. Classic. Yes. Uh, so, yes. All right. So to start out, we're going to we're going to talk about Warner Brothers and Warner Media and their proposed at this point, but probably going to happen merger with Discovery um, and what that means for. The streaming world and and all that kind of stuff um mm-hmm. we're gonna get into what i guess would kind of be tech news this is a one bit that of kind both. of yeah it kind of straddles the line is that a turn of phrase yes. uh between tech news and just filmmaking um we're gonna talk about uh the re volume uh that's opened up in the uk mm-hmm. um continuing with tech news we're gonna talk briefly although we never really talk briefly uh, about true. the Samsung 50 megapixel ISO cell uh, smartphone that was just announced. And we're going to bring it home with a conversation about something that I think we'll both have a, a good um, opinions on good opinions. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> copyright art and copyrights and how they apply to things like photos or games or music or whatever. Um, Yes. And sort of what that means for, for creators uh, in 2021. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be a good episode. I have a feeling. Yeah. So we got we got some good stuff coming down the pipe. Let's let's kick it off here um, and talk about Warner Media and Discovery. All right. Th- there, there's two folds to this. Basically, AT&T, um, who just like three years ago, bought out Warner Media and um, mm-hmm. And tried to sort of build their own like media department, media division. Warner Media is HBO, Warner Brothers, you know, all DC that kind Comics, of stuff. DC Comics, yeah, CNN. yeah. So not an insubstantial force in its own. Uh, and in the three years that they've owned it, they haven't really been that successful with it. Um, the general consensus seems to be that you can't really run a media company like a like a telecom company and yeah. vice versa and things like that. So AT&T is spinning it off and getting rid of it. And what's proposed at the moment, um, and it still has to, to pass a litany of like roadblocks and things like that. But what's proposed is a merger with Discovery, uh, which owns things like TLC, Food Network, uh, HGTV, um, Lots lot, of reality TV yeah, stuff. Yeah, lots of reality. Um, and yeah, sort of combining those two into like just one massive, massive company. And I don't know, Josh, what's what's your thoughts? We'll kick it off there. Um, It's 
not something that surprises me, although Discovery buying Warner Brothers it, it did surprise me. It seems like it would be something like the other way around. Yeah. Um, but this is happening a lot right now. Like we were just talking about Amazon acquiring MGM, and I'm mm-hmm. sure all of the major or the like the minor players that don't really have a big stake in the streaming game right now are all probably in talks of trying to join forces with someone else sure. to try and take on like Netflix and Amazon Prime and stuff like that. Um, I think this is kind of an odd one. I don't see what Warner Media and Discovery have in common at all, other than they're yeah. both media platform or like media corporations. Um, but in terms of their fan bases and everything, and the fact that they both have their own streaming platform already, yeah. I wonder what that's going to, like what's going to happen with, are they going to merge into one big streaming giant type of platform, which is like a mixture of all things? I, it's it's certainly possible. Yeah, I think the biggest question here becomes like, how combined are they going to end up? Right. Like, you know, are they just going to say, hey, and I think they did announce like the intended uh, title that it would be. Uh, this new company, I think it's something, it's like. It's literally like Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah. Like, I yeah, think it's Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers Discovery. Discovery. Yep. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, like, are we going to get a Warner Brothers Discovery Plus platform? Or are we going to just, like, is it going to be more of an umbrella thing where it's, because the Discovery one is called Discovery Plus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't have, but... Um, I didn't really know it existed, if yeah. I'm being quite honest. <laughs> And I think that's, I think, like you said before, it's, that's why it's a little, dis- like, a little strange to realize that Discovery is going to, well, I don't know if it's a straight buyout or if it's just like a merger, but like. But even um, if it's a merger, it, in the article, it said that the CEO, the current CEO of Discovery is going to basically be leading this new merged uh, so collaboration yeah. or whatever. So like Discovery taking the lead, as it were. Right. So like. I don't know. That's it's such a smaller like something that's not even across my radar. And given I don't watch that much of those shows, you know. Yeah. You know, I that, mean, I, I do love Top Chef and I do love, you know, there's a few of them out there that I watch. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't see them melding like you're saying. I mean, that would be taking a huge pay cut for them because it would be like, okay, two different, or they'd have to charge you 20 bucks or $30 for the subscription, which would just be like, I don't see that happening really now that I'm thinking about it. Like two individually chargeable $15 a month things versus one $30 a month thing that, or one $15 a month thing where they're, they're losing either way if they do that, I think. I mean, yes and no, because it's like you get, and this isn't an apples to apples comparison, but you get like Disney and Hulu and Disney and ESPN plus and Disney plus and Hulu and all that, you know, those are all owned by the same company, but separate platforms. That's true. Um, and I do pay for Hulu and, and Disney, but so I guess it, it depends on like, I, I don't know. Like, are we going to get Top Chef on the HBO Max platform? You know what I mean? I can't see that really happening. But uh, I would like to see the numbers on how many people subscribe to Discovery Plus because sure. I can only imagine way more people subscribe to HBO Max. I just, I feel like that's just 
the reality of it. Yeah. Um, Although it is one of those things that I think that's why AT&T was so eager to spin it off is because yeah. it's been in, it's been hurting. Um, True. Which is weird because you wouldn't think that. And like, I don't know. It might explain the whole thing that we've been talking about, about HBO releasing their titles uh, simultaneously mm-hmm. on the platform and in theaters. Um, right. So like, it's tough to say how well they've been doing, but like, it's true. Yeah. I don't know. This would make a lot more sense if it was um, like, I don't even have a good comparison, like this and Hulu combining or like yeah. you know, something that's got more notoriety. Absolutely. And I think that like the, I feel like HBO wasn't doing well yeah. at all up until recently when they've been, they've been kind of ahead of the curve in terms of this streaming um, theater release type of stuff because Netflix doesn't really do theater releases. I don't think. Well, actually, that's not true. I think they've done it from a, time to time. Very rarely, though. Yeah. Whereas HBO's like, nah, every single. I was just watching the Friends reunion earlier, and literally yeah. the other two titles are like, or the la- the other three titles are all in theaters right now as well. I'm yeah. like, that's kind of cool. In like, it was like in the Heights, um, The Conjuring, and one other movie that I didn't really know. Mortal Kombat. But, no, no, not Mortal Kombat. Is that still? I can't be. Still I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, um, but yeah, but this also makes me think: Are we going to start seeing like the really small services? Like they listed in the article, like AMC Plus, which again I didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, the Stars app, which I didn't know existed. But the are these going to get bought up or go away completely? Like I think that's one. Well, of the only it's tough because like. I don't think we're in a place where they're going to go away completely because there's still going to be like a demand for that content in some capacity. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, it's certainly possible like Paramount plus may crash and burn. And then, you know, Netflix swoops in and buys up all the rights to Star Trek or something like that. Um, right. I think that would be tough. I feel like, like, it would have to be doing really, really poorly. Right. You know, um, and I think there's enough followers of, of that kind of IP that like they're going to be trying at least. Right. Um, that makes sense. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. The article we were reading there is, was talking about how it kind of puts HBO Max and D- Discovery Plus. This is going to make it basically like you're, you're talking Amazon, Netflix, Disney and then this is like yep. the big four. And then the other ones on the, on the side are kind of just fighting for table scraps, I think was the turn of phrase. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see this getting in that same league. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it comes back to what you said. It's interesting to see like what level of, viewership discovery plus currently has right because there's not like there's no real incentive and is also that makes me think like does that mean they're they are planning to merge these two into one thing or if like they because when they count disney they don't count hulu in that equation because hulu's somewhere down the list yeah so it's like does that mean they're going to try and merge them because they also said they're planning on putting 20 billion dollars into content that year like as yeah. a whole so i'm like so there's emerging like the whole thing is a it's all coming together so i don't know how like what that really means like how are they going to budget out 
what to put money towards because it's two yeah. completely like different entities. So well, and I suppose it's important. We keep saying like HBO Max and Discovery Plus, but like this is Warner Brothers. This is not just yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like we've got there is mm. like uh, like feature films and and I mean it's like you said it's DC. Like you know it's yeah. Oh, it's the huge. entire yeah. So you know it's it's not inconsequential, and I don't know how much like ninety day fiance costs to create, but like right, you know are the are we. I don't know. I feel like I'm not making a very good argument in either direction on this kind of stuff, but. But it's a weird one. Like yeah. there's no, I've never seen something really quite like this happen before. So it's just. It's a, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of precedent. It's kind of like a weird, weird combination. It is. And I wonder like, it, I don't know. At some point there's going to be, well, there's already too many streaming services, but at some point there's going to have to be like a, a real a real tipping point where there's going to either be like a monop a complete monopoly which isn't like can't isn't supposed to be able to happen but yeah um or just a couple larger like not very many like literally a couple I think people are already getting fed up with paying for ESPN Hulu HBO you yeah know, it's it's getting to be too much so like I'm already cutting a lot of that stuff off I'm like okay I use Amazon Prime and I use that's kind of it right now for what I watch. Well, HBO, yeah. but that's on a different thing. So I don't know. I want to see what happens to v- membership on all of these platforms as yeah. more and more of these things start coming out. Because it's can't not not everybody can afford to pay for every platform. It's way more than cable at that point. Yeah. Although it's it's interesting because it's like it's way easier to pay four dollars a month for ten things than it is to pay forty dollars a month for one big thing. But it's true. It's true. It's weird as hell. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we'll have to like keep an eye on this because it's like from from what they're saying, I don't see it really becoming like a Netflix-esque juggernaut. Um, no. But I guess not far off because I think of HBO and Warner Bros. And I'm like, yeah, that's like some of my go-to stuff is there, especially like, I mean, we, we've talked about Warner Brothers and HBO and they're like really scheduled, but like the content they have there is very obviously trying to build large franchises because that's the name of the game these days you know yes um so you get things like godzilla and uh or godzilla versus kong and mortal Kombat and things like that like these are things that have got to be being planned to like expand pretty substantially so. absolutely Ugh, the franchise thing man I, yeah. I it's it's becoming all about that and i just i'm like what there's just there's better, not better, but there's other stuff out there that you can create good content about. Not just like, let's buy every franchise known to mankind and yeah, just do that. Let's build everything into a franchise, yeah. It's like Marvel did the the greatest and the worst things for like cinema. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It'll be really interesting in like 30 years to read what film historians say about this time period. Oh, yeah. You know. Um, the, yeah. It, it's crazy. Multiple superhero movies every year from different studios. It's true. Although it's weird because like, I don't know, to get into like the history stuff for a little bit. I'm like, it. I feel like this superhero stuff we're getting currently is not wildly unlike the Western stuff that we got in like the 50s and 60s. And, you know, um, there's a lot of similarities going on right now between like the the huge studios of like the 40s and whatnot. Um mm-hmm. 
and like them all, you know, combining and saying, hey, we're just going to play the movies that we want in our theaters and you'll go to them. I don't know. There's like a lot of similarities between that kind of world. So I don't know. Is the film industry cyclical? I think I think it probably is because mm-hmm. mo- a lot of things are things. I mean, come, we only got like 100 around. years of history here, so. You know. I know it's we won't know till long after we're yeah. gone, but <laughs> yeah. it's weird to think that we're still in like the early days of like cinema. Oh, it's terrifying. And like yeah. since we were super young, like, you know, in the 90s or whatever, it's just you don't think about it till now. And we're just barely into all this stuff, which is why all of these crazy yeah. things like the, you know, they're they're so mind blowing. So. Um, so, yeah. Speaking of mind-blowing. And crazy um, things. And crazy things. Excellent. Um, let's talk a little bit, or, ooh, no, even better. Talking about, like, transformations and new segments of filmmaking and things like that. Um, let's let's revisit... Uh, well, I, this isn't really the, the, the vision, but, like... Uh, or is it? I don't know. Josh, mm-hmm. you take it. I'm I'm bungling this intro. You That's okay. I, it. I I lost you for a sec there, but I'm I'm back now. We this is something that we talk about kind of frequently, only because um the so okay let let, let me just say what we're talking about. Basically, <laughs> Ari has created um a mixed reality studio built out of the same sort of LED panels that are used. Uh, on projects like The Mandalorian and in the Disney volume, which essentially allows you to projection map and create virtual worlds and realities and film them in real time in camera so that, you know, your actors are more, um, like, immersed and it's it's just a better experience for everyone and it's easier. The lighting is there. It's just a lot easier to deal with. So now Ari has created a studio that you can rent. I believe you can rent it out. I didn't see anywhere where they said exactly what you can do i I think that's their their end game yeah yeah which makes sense but it's also like ooh, you need to like have some vfx engineers like on your team then because they need to kind of do all this stuff for you yeah um but yeah they they're a mini volume that you can rent out in the uk it's like a uh, made up of i think five or six screens yeah that's yeah they're the ultra dense leds and you can kind of you're going to be able to rent it out and shoot in it which is this is all happening so much faster than I thought it was going yeah. to happen, which is cool. But it's also like, oh, my God, we're here at this spot already where just last year they were doing the Mandalorian. And this was the most mind blowing shit that I've ever seen. Yeah. And now here we are of like, well, yeah, I mean, you could film whatever you want there. Yeah. It's commercially you know? available. Like, and you I would just go. Bet, I would bet that this location is going to have on staff VFX people that can be like, oh, yeah, like just. You know, if you're going to rent it out for three weeks, you rent out the team, too, and they, you know, work with you for in your pre-production, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, kind of build the whole thing for you. Um, right. But, yeah, man, this stuff is moving fast. Like, And it's also, depending on how much it costs, obviously, but I'm sure it's got to be semi-reasonable, but um, this yeah. is making it, like, filmmaking is... N- there's so little boundaries now for mm-hmm. what you can create because of how good VFX is because of stuff like this, where you don't have to leave a single room to shoot an entire movie essentially um, and have your actors enjoy it and not have to do all these crazy VFX work after the fact. Yeah. 
it's a really cool place where that cinema's at right now where th- like people can create things easier than ever before and in really really high quality too yeah and it's it's more affordable than ever than ever before and i'm just excited to see what starts coming out of stuff like this and i also want to use this really bad like, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well and it's also it's like the tech like you said it's accelerating so fast that like you know it's getting more accessible but also like as it's getting more accessible more people are working with it and more people are able to accelerate it even further you know make take it even to the next level and like that's the kind of thing that i'm really excited about but also like a little worried about because it's very similar to what's going on in the camera industry of like, okay, but like what, at what point are we just chasing technology? And like, you're like, Oh yeah, well I have this, you know, I have unreal engine five and I just have my actors walk out there and move around and then, uh, figure it out later, you know, true, which I guess this one isn't so much. uh, We talked about this. This is more of a figure out in pre than post kind of thing. But, um, like at what point are we chasing uh story or sorry, are we chasing tech instead of story? Mm. Which I think cinema hasn't, well, no, they've been there before with the whole 3d craze that happened mm-hmm. already. that was like, why the fuck are we doing this at all? Let alone like with just some movies, like the fact that they had every movie that came out between like 2009 and 2012 was they were all in fucking 3d horror movies comedies like they were all Mm -hmm. in 3d and that just died quickly because we're like what why are we paying 20 bucks a movie for something that's really not adding that much to the experience yeah um but it, it does make me nervous to because i think at some point we're i don't think this is one of those things but at some point it's we're gonna get to that point where it's like why are we like why are we doing this there yeah. needs to be a reason to have like this. I get more, but yeah, it's going to get there at some point. And because inevitably everything with human beings gets there. Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to say that like, oh yeah, like this technology is crap and like, it's just going to make films terrible. I like, I'm not trying to, to draw oh, yeah, a, a yeah. 3d comparison, but like, it's, it's one of those. I'm like, I see, I don't want to disparage her, but like, there's going to be filmmakers <laughs> out there that are like, oh, well I shot this on the led wall in, in the UK uh, so it's going to get into every film festival. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can book this. And I don't know this is coming out super pessimistic and cynical. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I it's it's um, I don't know. It's super good tech. But I just want to like, I guess my concern is the speed of it. Like, I want to revel in its capabilities for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. No, I agree with you, and I think that the only reason that this is here before us is because of the pandemic. Like, there's no, yeah. they wouldn't have rushed all of this stuff. They wouldn't have done all the. I mean, I think the Mandalorian was already going to use something like this, but all of this crazy tech is coming because, like, people need different things because the situation's changed, and people are just bored and they want to, they want new stuff, yeah. and new stuff is being developed. Well, and-, and the the Mandalorian, I think, actually probably served as a use case for this because I'm pretty sure they were one of the few productions not to shut down during the pandemic because they weren't flying all over the place with huge crews. They were in this, you know, hangar in, in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming, I, I think it's in California. I'm almost positive yeah. it is. It has to be. Um, unless it's at like Skywalker Ranch or something like that, but I don't, I don't, think, I don't so. think so. No. Um, so yeah, like, you know, they're, 
like if that is the kind of thing that can can way scale up your your capabilities without like a huge increase in your budget that's awesome mm-hmm. which i think is where i was going with that statement statement i got you <laughs> i'm following you yeah i hope our yeah. listeners at home are <laughs> i'm sure they will yeah it's um i i never expected that we'd be right like here talking about this kind of stuff in 2021 it's just yeah you know i thought green screens were going to be around for another 10 years or so but well and the awesome thing with this is like so you know the the giant walls and all that kind of stuff notwithstanding like the unreal engine like software that powers it and things like that is free yeah like if you have a system that can handle it which like for god's sake know that mine can't um (laughs) but like if you have a system that can handle that like there's no reason you can't mess with this stuff anywhere at home you know what i mean and i'm sure there's people out there who can hack their their tv to sort of respond similar similarly i've never said that word right um (laughs) And like that's why, and that's how we get this tech to to scale even higher. Absolutely. So, I was trying to think really hard about a segue for this next one, but <laughs> scale, scale. I don't know. Let's 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 move so on many to megapixels. Um, yeah, yeah. So lots of megapixels, but there's whatever. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, just briefly because I don't have that much to say on it, and there's not all that much information out uh, yet about it. But Samsung has developed um, a 50 megapixel uh, sensor for the smartphone cameras. I assume this is going to go into just Samsung and Android products. Yeah. Um, what was the name? I don't even have the name of it. It was like something really. Uh, it was Isocell. The Isocell JN1. Yes. And, I mean, basically, the way they're getting this many megapixels onto a sensor that small is they're making them a lot smaller than normal. Yeah. Like, for, like, a normal, I did, I just looked up, like, the A7 III just as a standard full-frame camera. The the megapixels Mm -hmm. are 5.93 micrometers and that's just what the mm-hmm. standard is for that kind of sensor for like 20 between 23 and you know 30 uh, megapixels the size of these pixels is 0.64 so that's 0.64 millionths of a meter which is tiny and it also means that their sensitivity is really low when it yeah. comes to light and color so I, why yeah i i don't know i'm just like does does <laughs> Obviously, you get more resolution with the sensor, but you can do, in my opinion, you probably can do way less with it. Yeah. It, maybe. Maybe it's better. I don't know. It's a weird thing because, like, the argument, like, it's turning into the same kind of argument of, like, crop frame versus full frame. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of So, there's a ton of megapixels here, but on a super small like what's better to have like more megapixels or larger pixels. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's sort of the argument here. And Samsung is saying, Hey, you know, if you have 50 megapixels, you're going to have a higher quality um, just because there's a higher, they're like coming down on that side of the argument, which has its merits. Um, I'm pretty sure I come down on the other side of that argument. Yeah. 
you know, um, because detail is great until, you know, you don't have any range to it or you like it kind of doesn't really work as well. You know what I mean? Like, so if I've got, yeah, if I've got 50 megapixels in a, you know, less than one inch sensor, I'd way much rather have 20 megapixels in a bigger one. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. No, I agree a hundred percent. And it's not that they can throw like a bigger sensor in, which they probably could at this point. Um, but they're not, yeah, they're, they're favoring something that I don't think matters that much. Like if you're talking 50 megapixels, it's, it's, it's in a phone. Like why do you need more megapixels in a phone than you do in the, in the $4,000 a seven R Mark four, like, yeah. Or not like the same amount as like the R five or whatever. It's like, why, why would you want that? Wouldn't you want more low light capabilities? Wouldn't you want more, you know, accurate color? Wouldn't you want those things versus crazy high resolution? And maybe I just, that's just me. Well, the the thing I kind of think is happening here is this is, a marketing technique this is hey like we can get up to a 50 megapixel sensor in here and say it's a 50 megapixel sensor mm-hmm. and people will buy it because like the more average photographer person less tech savvy average photographer phone person uh is gonna say oh that that's higher quality um true which like sure um I think that'll work to a degree until reviews start coming out. That's going, Hey, um, you know, like look at how much this doesn't hold up to like an iPhone or something like that. That has 12, 15 megapixels. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I think I would be much more impressed with something that's like, if I was getting a phone, it was like a larger sensor. You know what I mean? It's, Hey, this has a one inch sensor on the back. Like if you're buying a phone for phone photography, I'd be much more impressed by something that's like, Hey, this is a much better camera across the board. And like, you're going to get better detail and you're going to get better low light and you're going to get better color. Like those are for me way higher selling points than, Oh yeah, it's 50 megapixels. But that's me, you know, I mean, I'd like if they came out with like a, you know, a phone with like a, you know, crop sensor, sensor on the back yeah i'd be like hell yeah you know like i don't care that it's huge like i'm using this phone for photography (laughs) true you know why not so i I, it it's like a weird like i don't know in my mind it's got to be a marketing thing that isn't a very well thought out marketing thing it's definitely a marketing ploy. I mean, it's a buzzword. Megapixels, people, that's the only thing people yeah. know about cameras. Like, we both work at camera stores. Like, <laughs> oh, what's the highest megapixel camera? It's like, who gives yeah. a Yeah. Well, so if you want to go into that, though, like, the, the real argument, like, people come in, they want the highest megapixel camera. But the other thing people come in that they say all the time is like, oh, I, I need full frame. Yes. I don't know why, but full frame is better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so... It's tough to say that the the marketing argument would work either direction, but um, it's true. You know, I yeah, like I said, I'd I'd way rather be if I'm getting a phone that I'm going to use for photography. I I want a bigger sensor. 
Absolutely. That's the only thing that should matter in these types of situations. Not, yeah. not like clearly 12 megapixels, you can do one. Hell, eight megapixels, you can do wonders with. Yeah. Like it's just, you're not blowing these things up to 50 times their size. I feel like for, for our listeners that might not know, I think the current iPhone, the iPhone 12, is like 11 or 12 megapixels total. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But yeah, so like you're, you're talking about this stuff that's like, you know, 12 megapixels is more than enough for what I think 90% of people are going to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like we'll get there, you know? Yeah. Because like, if you're talking about full frame cameras and things like that, like, you know, we're at the point where if you were saying, Oh yeah, like I want a 12 megapixel camera, we'd be like, yeah, you get, you can do better than that. Right. Um, but even like that kind of thing, isn't at a 50 megapixel thing really yet. Like, yeah. You know, the cameras exist, but most people, most people are like, what, what am I going to do with that huge file? Like, yeah, you know, um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I also don't know. It, it's, it's another tactic to cell phones. I don't think that many people really care if it's 50 megapixels or even know what that really means in terms yeah. of what their image is, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, I can see the marketing th- ploy already of 50 megapixels and then next to it is an iPhone that says 12 and you're like, whoa, that's so much better. Right, and they have no idea what that yeah. is or why and it's just like, well, I'll spend all my hard-earned money on that for no Does reason. it have a... They haven't announced the actual phone yet, right? No, just the sensor, which is always yeah. so funny. I'm like, they, they're yeah. just testing the water, see how people like react to the sensor before they throw it into a phone. Or <laughs> yeah, well, and doesn't wait isn't doesn't Samsung have a hundred megapixel phone? Yeah, they do. They have their um their S twenty Ultra is a hundred yeah. and like three megapixels or something stupid like that. Yeah, so like, who I, the hell is this for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, Unless this is going to be their new sensor for all of their cameras, in which case I'm like, okay, that like is different because they're not trying to market really that. But I mean, maybe yeah, if they're just like even our baseline ones are like a higher quality, but I can't. That to me doesn't really make a lot of like fiscal sense, even of like no, and even like you know, so like like I mentioned there with the like size of the photos like you're gonna fill up your phone wicked fast yeah you know like wicked fast and you know that's like i feel like always like achilles heel of phones is there's never enough space on them and it's like yeah if you're recording a 50 megapixel image you know yeah being at a concert or something taking a lot of photos like taking a 300 400 photos in a day yeah are you kidding me (laughs) and then you come home and you've used 15 gigs of space yeah. <laughs> you know, like, damn. I can only assume, like, your phone's going to get, like, it's going to die faster if you're using, it's just, it's Well, and you, then you know there'll be a setting that's like, oh, here's 50 megapixel setting, but you can also do 20 megapixel setting and 10 megapixel setting and 5 right. megapixel setting. Yeah. I don't know. I also don't know. Uh, but, um. You know what else I don't know about? transitions and how to do them well yes boom (laughs) so we're gonna set us up on this one yeah yeah so the reason we're talking about copywriting lawsuits today is because a woman by the name of judy 
Durasec is suing Capcom for using a, a whole bunch, like 80 of her photos, without licensing them or her consenting to it at all, uh, using them as textures and different pieces within, like, I think multiple Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. Through, uh, and it basically, yeah, she's suing them because they, they didn't, uh, they didn't ask her or give her any money or credit her or in in any way, and it was weird because she had created a book that was like a bunch of textures for use. So I think she was offering them up to be licensed. Yeah, but they just didn't do it. Um, and it kind of got me just thinking about licensing art in general and licensing different mediums of art and what you can do in terms of copywriting stuff. And you had brought an article to my attention which I didn't know about. Uh, where two musicians or two musicians slash programmers mm-hmm. basically created an algorithm that would uh, create every single eight note, 12 beat melody pairing. Like I think yeah. like every single combo, right? Yeah. Basically every musical combination that could be made, uh, they wrote an algorithm that would write it out and basically attempted, I think to, they didn't copyright all of them, but like essentially put them out there to say as like an argument of like, you can't say this is copyrighted because here's this exact melody made already. Like, you know, if, if someone's infringing on your copyright of a song, then you're already infringing on this copyright of the song because it already exists. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I think what they did was they copyrighted. I don't. I. I don't. I'm not sure how much of this they got through, but they. The plan was to copyright all of them and just give everybody access to them, so that yeah. nobody could claim that this was theirs because they had already done it. Um, which is freaking awesome because I hate that when whenever you see, especially when it's um like an artist post mortem or anything where they're their estate is coming after like all of these artists for either sampling or not even sampling, but doing like a, a melody that's sort of vaguely similar to something that they had in one of their songs yeah. and just claiming that that's a blatant ripoff and that they, um, you know, they're yeah. lights or a royalty money for that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do you think about copywriting a piece of art? Yeah, what do you think about that in general as like a like how can you do that really? <laughs> yeah, so it's really tough. So like th- there's two sides of like the same coin going on here. Um with the the like the the musical melody copyright and things like that. Like the concept is there are only so many combinations of you know 12 notes and if they've all been created already like you can't claim that they've been created before. And like, it becomes more of like, well, this exists already. Like, this is a fact that this exists already. Yeah. Um, and you can't copyright a fact, you know what I mean? So like it, it turns, it turns it from like an artistic, uh, interpretation into like a, a mathematical kind of thing, which mm-hmm. that like saying that sentence really like makes my heart hurt. Cause like, <laughs> you know, as an artist, it's like, you, you don't want your art, like reduced down to math. Right. Um, so, so that stuff, I get what's, what's going on there because there is a lot of stuff that's like, 
yeah, with music, especially there's only so many combinations that these things can do and it's bound to have overlap, you know, and like, I, and the, the thing that sort of starts going into the, the visual aspect of that is like, there's bound to be pure coincidence that like, you know, something is the same. There's blatant ripoffs. And then there's a whole like spectrum in between of like, you know, I heard this song or I saw this movie 25 years ago that just kind of seeped into my subconscious. And like when I went to frame something or when I went to write a scene, like there's elements of that that, you know, worked through my subconscious and and ended up on the page. And like that is a really hard thing to like copyright. It's it's a very like broad spectrum of where these things could be. And to say like it's a black and white issue of like you ripped this off or you took this off of my inspiration or whatever. Um, that's a very hard needle to thread. When it comes to uh, Joyce here and and Capcom uh, using her photos, mm-hmm. I think she's absolutely in the right. Oh, yeah. That's like a, a shame on Capcom kind of thing. And I'm curious, like, to what degree it happened. Um, you know what I mean? Like, was this raised to a bunch of people at Capcom and they decided not to do anything with it? Was this a low-level, like graphic design intern who was like, I want to put like a fractured piece of glass on this logo or I want to, you know, I need uh, some kind of thing to go on this door in the game. Like, and they just happened to find that on like a Google search. Like not that that like, you know, forgives it, but it could have been a misunderstanding type. of Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, we've all worked with people that are like, well, but I'm just going to do it. And if I get in trouble, like whatever, like I'll do it later. Right. deal with that later so i mean yeah like shame on capcom for letting something on that level happen because it, like if it was like one little image like i remember a similar thing happened when uh the original iron man came out there was like a poster uh that came out that like was in a warehouse or something and the warehouse was a, a photo from some photographer and they just kind of grabbed it and like put it in the background with Robert Downey Jr. standing. So it's like, that's the kind of stuff, especially like when you're a huge company like this, like just buy it, like just buy it, just reach out. Like I'm sure there's, there are very few people that if you reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to use this in on the cover of a Capcom game or on the, as a poster of a massive motion picture, they're going to be like, absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're willing to pay for something like that's kind of what photographers do. And that's kind of what like artists do. It, it's, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I'm talking a lot over here. <laughs> no, it's okay. I know everything you said, I was completely agreeing with. I mean, it's easy. It should be easy for these huge companies to be able to say, especially if it's important enough to do something like this, like you're putting it in the final draft of, three video games like front and center you use it on the cover of the game you're using it on the poster for iron man like it's clearly something that you've thought about and you care about so you know what it's worth at that point yeah 
And I feel like it's just disingenuous for them to be like, yeah, well, we just, even if they said like, oh, they just grabbed it off a site. It's like, come on, guys. Is there no due diligence here to like try and do the right thing? Yeah. Like they don't, photos don't just pop up out of nowhere. Like it's someone took it. Yeah. Someone needs credit for it. Unless they've like sold it to a site where you can like sell for like stock footage or whatever. Um, yeah. Which wasn't the case in it. I mean, she had it available for purchase, but like it wasn't up on like a stock website it was like it would have had to have gone through her and she would have like she would have known about it if like yeah yeah and i don't think it's a lot of these things come down to greed and i think for her it's not really i don't think it's motivated by something like that it's more of like this is disrespectful yeah for someone like that or an entity or like a, a corporation that huge to just not even try and do something yeah. about it um and I, I don't know. It's it's weird when it comes to copywriting art, but I think people are, you're, you should have the ability to take ownership of something that you created. Yeah. And but then it goes back to the other thing about the music, where it's like, if someone took your song and put it out as their own, then yeah, that's a blatant that you didn't come up with that type yeah. of thing. But when it comes to something where, like in inspiration, like if someone took a photo that was really close to her photo, but it wasn't, mm -hmm. that's fair game in that regard. Yeah. Like, that's or if they saw her photos and were like, "That would be like a really cool kind of thing." Let's go and like try and break a piece of glass like that and yeah. use that. Like you know, like that's an inspiration kind of thing, and that I'm I'm on board with. You know, but like if you're like, and there's a whole thing in the article too, which which we'll link in in the show notes, but like that. Like the file names were the same as as the ones that she like tracked down. Like it's like I don't know. Like that's the kind of thing to go back. I'm like, there are people that won't care. You know, they're like, whatever. I'm just gonna use this photo. Yeah. But like when you're talking about a company like Capcom or a company like Marvel or something like that, and like, yeah, like you said, there's all those photos come from somewhere, and there are plenty of people in the line of like a deliverable that should be sourcing all of the, that should be like tracking down the sources of all this stuff to make sure that like, Hey, Capcom's not suddenly open to a massive lawsuit. Exactly. It's um, just, yeah, it's an oversight that could have been easily avoided. Yeah. Had you just done like gone through the proper channels. It's just, it's yeah. maybe it was a time thing or whatever, but I'm like, you used 80 photos guys. Didn't yeah. Bother Over the course credit. of several <laughs> games, like, <laughs> It's, that wasn't an accident. That was, yeah. you like this person's work clearly. Mm -hmm. Like, very clearly, you enjoy what this person does. And it, and that, that I'm kind of changing my opinion about like giving, oh, maybe they've, no, that's, that's very blatant in that yeah. way. In that, uh, you know, at that point. It's certainly possible that there was a person that didn't care, but there had to be several, several people that didn't care for this to happen. And that is a failure of the company as a whole. Yep. So. Completely, completely agree with you. It, it's it's tough because all of that stuff is like on a spectrum. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, I do stuff where like I'll find a photo for like a website or something like that that I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, you can't, you got to track down something that you either are buying or is being offered for free. And like, like, yeah, I could just do a Google search image for broken glass and snag the first thing and just put it in there and like cross my fingers that it won't get busted. But I... You know, I don't, I've never, I've never agreed with that mentality of it's, uh, better to, uh, beg forgiveness than ask permission because 
begging forgiveness can amount to uh, very expensive lawsuits. Well, that and it's just like there's no guarantee. Well, there's no guarantee either way, which is even worse. Like if yeah. you ask for permission, they say no. You can just fuck off. If if yeah. you don't ask permission and now you're in trouble, well, yeah, that's all you can do about it. Like yeah, if you don't ask permission, how long is that hanging over you? Of like, is this gonna catch up with me? It's just you know, and yeah. it doesn't always pay off. So yeah. yeah. I think that's um yeah we kind of burned through them pretty quick here all right well that's gonna pretty much do it for all the stuff we really had to talk about in terms of uh news and and movies it's not not a whole lot going on right now i think yeah. it's gonna change pretty drastically as the summer goes on and as we start to see what happens with all these major movie releases because mm-hmm. that's gonna it's coming like august yeah. through the end of the year Woo! It's yeah i mean and we're into june yeah 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 so so yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess let's just go right into the recommendations segment of cool. of everything. Do you uh you want to go, go first? Yeah, you All go right. first. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. So, my recommendation is not a series this week. It's a movie. It's uh, it's a 2009 film by the name of District Nine. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. This is like right in that. I feel like between 2007. And 2010, there was a really golden age of like, mm-hmm. like action, sci-fi, comedy. Like there was just a really good uh, yeah. collection of films that were coming out at that time. And Neil Blomkamp, who is the director of this film, he kind of slid in right, right there. And then he did like Elysium and Chappie and all these other projects that I love because sci-fi kind of was not a big part of cinema for a while. Yeah. Um, since like the, the 90s, and so it was it was nice to see that come back. But this movie is. Science fiction, it's about an alien invasion, but it's kind of more on the realism side where the aliens show up um, and then are put into basically internment camps by the population of the world. And it's about this journalist who kind of gets entangled with uh, one of these uh, extraterrestrials and his journey of kind of self-discovery. And it's a it's a social commentary on immigration as a whole and it's just a beautiful movie um it's rated r so keep that in mind there's some violence but it's yes. it's a beautiful film um and i think people should check it out if you haven't already if you like sci-fi and charlotte copley who's fantastic by the way um so that is is my recommendation for this week what is yours Excellent. so mine is also going to be uh something from that same kind of time period um this is a film that I, I saw when it first came out in theaters, and it's one of the few that I went back uh, several times to see it in theaters again and again um, because, and I know I've said this before uh, on this podcast, but it it pretty much takes the cake for the most beautiful movie I've, I've ever seen um, in terms of cinematography, and that movie is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yes. Uh, it's... Uh, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck are the two two main characters in it, um, playing Jesse James and, and Robert Ford. Uh, it's cinematography is by the great Roger Deakins. Um, and I maintain that I think this is probably the most beautiful film that he's ever shot, um, which is a, a massive claim. And I'm sure many people would fight me on. But like they engineered specific. They, didn't they engineer lenses for this? They movie? built. They built specific, well, they didn't build lens, but like they 
took elements out of lenses to create a very specific look. Yeah. Um, there were several shots that I just like don't have front elements to their lenses and it's, it's oh. crazy. Um, the yes. acting is superb. Um, it's, it's directed by a guy named Andrew Dominic um, who also wrote it. And like it, the, the best way I can describe it is that like, it's, it's like a poem. It's very long. It's very long. I think it's just shy of three hours long and it feels like it. Um, but it's, it's poetic. It's like, it's very calm. It's very still. And he also has a crazy cast full of people that like, you know, now. Um, so it's like Brad Pitt and, and Casey Affleck are the two leads, but you get Sam Rockwell, you get Mary Louise Parker, you get Jeremy Renner, you get, uh, Sam Shepard, Paul Schneider. Um, and like, uh, and, and, um, and James Carville, uh, really? The, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the politician um, shows up in uh, in I think he's like the governor or something like that. But the, the cast is amazing. They're all fantastic performances. The The pace is slow, but like poetic and it lets itself breathe. And it, it's just, it's one of my favorite films of all time. So. Hell yes. yes. Check it out. Check it out when you have a few, several hours. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. Sweet. All right, man. So uh, that'll bring us home for episode, what, this is eight of Pixel Splitters? Yeah, we're coming up on the big double digits. Yeah. Um, uh, As always, we're your hosts. My name is Willis. My name is Josh. And uh, Josh, where can people find you online? Uh, People can find me on Instagram at Josh J. Fuller. And you can find me on Twitter at Josh Fuller 33 with no E. And where can people find you, Willis? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at WillisFilm. And uh, you can find the podcast as a whole uh, on Instagram at PixelSplitters and at PixelSplitPod on Twitter. Uh, and Josh, I have a horrifying confession. Okay. I realized yesterday that I didn't follow PixelSplitPods on Twitter. So you, so you lied to our audience. But it means that we actually do have a follower because we had two yeah, followers and I just assumed one of them was me. That's uh, my roommate, I think. Nice. Well, shout <laughs> so, out. Um, shout out to Parker, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I guess that'll, that'll bring us home. All right. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week, Josh. Yeah. Good talk to you, dude. All right, dude. Have a good one.